All right, welcome to the latest edition of Hear That Podcast, Growlin, Paul Daner Jr., Jay Morrison of The Athletic, uh, are excited to power through. We are on Tuesday, this past Tuesday, we welcomed Dane Brugler, our resident draft guru uh, and author of The Beast. Highly recommend going back and listening to that. We also talked Chase versus Sewell, Bengals Civil War with Robert Mays, who had a great piece uh, on a really kind of a deep look on where those positions come from and, and kind of a, a real in-depth analysis of what that looks like through the lens of roster building in today's NFL. And both those conversations are up from Tuesday, if you didn't listen to that, uh, which meant our three draft strategy pieces uh, for this week. We're going to go through all of them right here on this one. Excited about this, Jay? I am. It's it it's a great way to spend tax day. <laughs> oh, is normally, it tax day? this is normally the day I do my taxes. Uh, but then they gave us another month, so I'll be doing my taxes May fifteenth. So yeah, let's let's talk Bengals draft. Yes. Um, I don't want to, you got me. You just made me start thinking about. Wait, I haven't sent my tax. Wait, <laughs> did I do that? That's a bad. You got me in a bad headspace now. Uh, all right, let's. I also want to tell everybody. Make sure you keep an eye out. Um, Dane Brugler had his seven round mock draft that is up. That you can kind of go through that now up on the site. And Jay has sort of a look at what he did for the Bengals there and why that might be right or wrong. Um, Zach Kiefer has a incredible story uh, on Chris Wessling. Uh, the late Chris Wessling, who was Bengals fans, uh, certainly probably know him. Uh, he was on around the NFL on the podcast there and was from here. He wrote an incredible piece, uh, on the, um, on the Bengals offense under Bill Walsh, uh, back in the seventies and how it started the way the entire NFL goes. And he's just a great personality. I used to love talking to him at NFL functions, uh, on how people are still kind of reeling, uh, from his loss, it's a tough one to get through, but man, it's it, it really I think captures a lot of what Chris was uh, to the NFL community and a lot of people here that followed the Bengals in Cincinnati. So highly recommend that also uh, up on the site. Um, but prominently as it continues are our three draft strategy series pieces for this week, and that includes defensive end, defensive tackle, and kicker. Kicker will come in later. We even touched on a little bit on Tuesday. Here's the interesting thing, Jay. This team has a type. <laughs> they have a very much have a personality. Okay. Like you ever have a buddy like, man, why? He's just always dating blondes. Like th- there's just no other options out there. Right. I mean, look, I've got, I've got 10 years of facts here. All I, all he ever does is date blondes. Right. Or whatever. The Bengals do not draft defensive linemen at the tops of drafts. They have not taken a defensive lineman in the first round since Justin Smith in 2001. Now that includes his edge and defensive tackle. We're talking about both of those. They're the only team to not have drafted a first-round defensive lineman since 2002, about almost 20 drafts. And they have the fewest total draft picks in the first two rounds of defensive linemen. They only have three that they took in the second round over the course of the last two decades. That's it. And it was a run in the from about from 2010 to 2013 where they took three second rounders in four years, which included Carlos Dunlap, 
Um, they added Marcus Hunt and oh, why am I blanking on Devin the Still? One? Yeah, Thank two you, of those De- they shouldn't have you. taken. Yeah, <laughs> Marcus Hunt, and Devin Still, a really, really interesting strategy because of this. Jay, people would want to criticize them. It has worked. Yeah, they have become fantastic at finding defensive linemen, quality, productive, Pro Bowl, All Pro defensive linemen in these middle rounds. It's a wild trait that has really defined them with this critical position. Yeah, I mean, you that's it. You that's why they have the type because it has worked. Um they 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 actually have a lot of types. There's a lot of things they seem to do over and over and over again. And part of that is because of the continuity where there's never any change in the front office. And there's been, well, if you go back to Justin Smith, there's been two changes um, going from Dick LeBeau to Marvin and then Marvin to Zach. But it's been a very continuous thought process, um, decision-making it just it, it's all worked in concert and so that that makes sense that you number one even if it didn't work that that you still have the the same mindset where you're going to do it this way until it does work and because it has worked then it just makes even more sense that, that they keep going back to this method and I, this year might be the biggest need they've had at those at both spots um in this run, and I still don't think we're going to see them go. Well, we know they're not going first round, and I still don't think we're going to see them go first or second round with uh, defensive linemen. Maybe second round, but more than likely, we're talking third, fourth, fifth. Yeah, I think maybe second round. I mean, you could see a scenario where they where they maybe make that play. It, you would one, you know, they would leave them in a lurch on a couple of offensive positions, and just we, we've talked about this a couple times. This is the first time we've really gone in on the defense here. And it feels like it's the first time we've really gone in on defense at all this draft season because the way they the way they plotted free agency, the way free agency turned out was so defensive heavy, it left them to kind of take, okay, we're going to take care of defense and free agency, and we're going to get a young, fun offense to grow with Joe Burrow. Uh, on the other side, and that, that seems to be the strategy. It's certainly where they've left themselves open. But you know they did not really they found a more permanent fixture in the swap out of Lawson for Trey Hendrickson but people forget that third spot essentially you know the old Carl Lawson spot which was behind you know the third guy behind Hubbard and Dunlap who's in there on primarily on passing situations unfilled wide open the defensive tackle the three technique spot Wide open. Larry Joby takes it over. He's on a one-year deal. You know, you're you, you, first of all, you need depth. Second of all, like, let's talk about a long-term fixture, especially in a draft that doesn't have a whole lot of options at the top where you're probably getting somebody that you are going to try to develop and then hope by next year he's really a guy. You know, you've got others you could maybe try, like Mike Daniels, you can try to squeeze him in there. He's, you know, that's not necessarily going to be um, the, you know, the, a game changer and definitely not a long-term option. So these spots are still as wide open as as any on the roster. In fact, I, I would venture to say of all their picks, it, it, it would be totally in, on par and make total sense 
if the only defensive players they selected in this draft were defensive linemen in the fourth and fifth round. <laughs> right. I mean, that's just that's just <laughs> the way it feels, and it would be rare to to see them go four consecutive offensive players. It's it's been a long time since they've done that. So. Yeah, it, it feels like the second round's really not. It could be in play, but probably not. Maybe third, but really, it feels like it, it's going to be a D, a D end, and then an interior guy in the fourth and the fifth round, and then just a matter of if which order they take those guys. Yeah, and you could, I mean, you know, I think you could throw the third in there. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't think that would be necessarily that out of the question. Where you're, you know, maybe there's, you know, they're taking an off another offensive lineman in the fourth or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's different ways, but. It's that it's that middle. I mean, that's kind of where they have found their hole. And here's another part of that. Um, so I was really interested, particularly in defensive tackles, and we're talking pass rush. And that's there is a fit. Look, run stopping guys are great. They seem to have a lot of those guys now. Like they they yeah. really valued it, and they have collected those. I mean, even even in the depth aspects. I mean, DJ Reader. While he has wiggle in the passing game and can give you a little bit, he's a run-stopping defensive tackle. Josh Tupo, who's going to be there in the mix, is a run-stopping defensive tackle. Sam Hubbard, is I think he led the league in run-stop percentage last year. <laughs> um, you've got Hendrickson. I don't know what he can bring you necessarily there, but you, you've just got a lot of these pieces in there. Mike Daniels, uh, that can be more of the run-stop variety they're just lacking pass rush and they were dead last in sacks last year you know and it's they need it so that's the profile like if we're talking about things that guys may lack they if you're in the fourth and fifth round maybe a guy lacks any of the run stop stuff that you want but you feel like you can maybe teach that to him but he's got real pass rush ability think along those lines from both positions edge and defensive tackle and defense tackle in particular I went back and looked. Like, let's talk about the guys, right? Who were the guys? So over the last five years, I looked at Pro Football Focus has their – now I have opened up, which is great. I mean, look, if, if this series hasn't been anything but a advertisement for how good PFF's deep stats are, I don't know <laughs> what it is. I highly recommend getting a subscription there too. Um, they've opened up pass rush win percentage, which I think is a great – it's a great way to really look at who's being disruptive. Because even if the ball comes out, did you win? How often are you winning? And it gives you a, a real list of who guys have been the best. So I found guys who ranked in the top 10 in defensive tackle pass rush win percentage at least twice in the last five years, so not some crazy one-off consistency. It, it churns out 12 guys. Of those 12, Jay, have you have you looked at that list yet? Yeah. Okay, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't I, know if I, I could did. quiz you on it. Uh, of those 12... Three were first-round picks. Three. And one of them, Cam Hayward, was 31. He was almost in the second. Fletcher Cox and Aaron Donald are your top, are your real guys. The rest of them are all further down in the draft. You've got three second rounds, a third round, two fours, and three fives. I mean, the... These guys can be found. They can be developed. They figure out ways to overcome however the league is judging them and make it work and be, become dominant players. It's really interesting, and it, and it coincides with what we talked about to open this podcast about the Bengals' strategy. I mean, it does seem the league plays itself out that way. The, the guy that really surprised me on that list was Mike Daniels, 
Yeah. You, know, you talked about it where he can be effective in the, that's not his strong suit, but he can be effective against the pass. Uh, do you remember the, the two years that he was in the top five the front would, of the, the yeah, top. 16 and 17, I believe. Yeah. Um, I have it on my deep, deep. Sh- I didn't show that work. I have that, but, uh, I, I, it was right at the front and similar with Gino Gino's last year. Um, I believe it was six. Right. He was the same 16 and 17, no, he had three, 16, 17, and 18. He snuck into 10th, and yeah. then he has a 19 and 20. Obviously, he was he was further down the list. Um, but, yeah, it was sort of, you know, he's it was earlier on, and then you started to see a little bit of the wear on him as he's crossed 30. Yeah, but there's just, I mean, you know, guy Grady Jarrett and Malik Jackson, those guys, those fifth-round guys that are as good as, as anybody that was taken second, third round, um, it, it – it just kind of reinforces the the Bengals' plan or you know thought process here of getting these guys late because you can. It's like a running back. It's it, you you don't necessarily need to use a high pick to get high value out of one of these guys. Yeah. All right. Let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. Let's talk about who one of the these guys can be. I think if we you look at some of these guys in the back, I mean there's an interesting what did you what what surprised you from the edge rusher dig Jay that maybe pinpointed, you know, some guys that kind of fit this mold that we think they're going to be looking for. Um that there there are guys that it, it's it's not the the heavy the top heavy group of edge rushers we've seen in the past, but you look at all the guys that will be or should be available third, fourth, fifth round. And there's a lot to choose from. And I think that that it just, again, it plays into why wouldn't they stick with what they know well. And you're right. You mentioned it, you know, all these guys, they're going to have some sort of wart on their, their game, but that's, that's what the Bengals are, are good at in, in determining, where the lesser of the evils are and where the, where they think they can improve these guys. Um, I, I, we, we did it in our four round mock. We three of three of the four had Patrick Jones and Dane Brugler in his seven round mock still had Patrick Jones available in the fourth round and had the Bengals go a different direction. I just, he just feels like a fit there. And as much as they typecast for a long time, they had the the long, tall guys, and they. I think that Carl Lawson kind of showed them that you you can get the faster, smaller guys and and still be as effective. And maybe they get away from that template a little bit. You you wonder how much of that was front office and how much of that was, um, you know, Jay Hayes and and Marvin and what what they liked in the defensive ends, and now that we've seen a changeover a couple times over with defensive line coaches and a changeover with the head coach, if maybe they do start moving off of that that long, tall defensive end prototype that they that they leaned on for so long. Yeah, I, I think you know, we 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 were qui- we often be quizzing the defensive coordinator, whoever it was in recent years, about that, and I do think there's a realization that look, they all shapes and sizes, particularly when you're talking about what they're looking for with Hubbard and Hendrickson in there as sort of staples of the edge for on the long haul. You don't care how the, how the rotational pass rusher guy gets there. Mm -hmm. Just a dude that can get there. 
right? And and speed and bending the edge, like that's in that's more valuable than anything. And you know, it, especially when you're talking about a guy that you're not even necessarily looking at as a, a three down pass rusher. Um, you know, I get intrigued. You had the pass rush productivity numbers from some of the uh, edge rushers that were there. And it's funny, we talk about Patrick Jones, but Rashad Weaver, Pitt, man. Yeah. Pitt, Pitt was hounding. Pitt was hounding folks this past year. And they will, you look at, if you want to have some fun and think about what the, the Bengals could be adding in the third or fourth round at the edge rusher position, just go watch Pitt film because you'll see Rashad Weaver out there too. Um, who was a, a top five pass rush productivity guy last year amongst all your draft eligible edges. And so that's, there's a couple of different names there uh, in the mix that, you know, Dane said this on the show earlier this week where, you know, there's not the top heavy, but man, there's a lot of guys in that 20 to 80. Mm-hmm. There's just, a, there's a lot of guys that, so it's like, if you want one, you know, if 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 that is where you want to pinpoint, there's there's going to be somebody available, and probably somebody that you have you yourself a much higher grade on. They were in the fourth round. You'll be getting someone you had a second or a third round grade on just because of the sheer quantity of it. And you hope that you're finding your Sam Hubbard, who I, you know, is another perfect example of these mid round guys they've brought in. And he he, as the taller, longer guy, he fits that old prototype, and that's. It's one of the the things I think is interesting. You mentioned it, the third down, third down specialist. It, it's not. It's one thing to have a guy come in and be fresh and and be able to, you know, just kind of explode. And and I think it's almost more important that you don't let the opposing tackles get comfortable. If you if you replace a six six guy with the 80 inch wingspan with another six, six guy and an 80 inch wingspan that it doesn't make the tackle adjust. If, if you bring in a totally different prototype on third downs, then that stresses the, the, I mean, the good tackles are going to be able to, to work against any edge rusher, but it, it just puts more stress on them. If, if you're throwing different types at them and um, I, there is, there's, there's all type, whatever type they want, they can find, in this draft, in that, in that, those middle rounds, like Dane said, twenty to eighty, take your pick. They're they're gonna have a lot of options, and and that it almost makes you wonder. It seems like fourth round, maybe they go tackle before they go edge because they're just because of the sheer numbers. There are more edges, but it's it's going to be interesting to see which way they go because there's all it's not just the different body types you've got guys from small schools where you have the question about you know who they've played against and quality of competition and all that there's there are just so many different ways to go it's 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 really kind of it's hard to pick a specific player even though we landed on Patrick Jones over and over and over again yeah I mean that's we use him because he seems to fit the profiles, but you know they have a lot of their own views of you know and a deeper breadth of guys that that maybe they feel like are are fits. The thing you mentioned about different styles, I love. You say those the good tackles can handle all. Yeah, well, there's a lot of not good tackles out yes. there that are still playing, <laughs> and they have a weakness, and the weakness may be speed rusher, or the weakness may be more of a power guy, and the ability to throw a different style at somebody who has a weakness towards that style um, and have all of those available in your, in your bag is, is a, it can be a big deal. And that's why I do think, you know, you're looking for it this year more so than ever, 
give me Carl Lawson, right? Find Carl Lawson of this year in the fourth round again, right? Like that's kind of the way it goes. Um, you mentioned, will they go defensive tackle or would they go edge first? There's a, a, a number of interesting names amongst the defensive tackles. Cause this is just, it's just a, it's not a good draft for defensive tackles. Um, you know, you're talking about a couple of guys, Barmore, um, and Oz, oh man, Ozarike. I, I looked, even looked up the pronunciation and I forgot it, uh, from Washington. I mean, these are the guys at the top, um, and, and both will go off before the Bengals probably even pick in the second round, or maybe they, one of them will be available, doubtful. Um, but that would be the only shot of seeing them probably go in early on that position. Uh, another one I wanted to mention, um, is and I put him in here, Milton Williams, out of Louisiana Tech. He's super intriguing guy, who, you know we we haven't talked a ton about random athletic score here, um, but it's it's a really fun thing to follow to get athletic profiles and historical context on those um, at Math Bomb on Twitter. In case you're not and um, and. He has Milton Williams. Now, they have him as a defensive end prospect. Defensive tackle prospect would have him just as freaky. But his random athletic score of 9.98, basically he's elite in three of the four areas, speed, agility, and explosion. Ranked fourth out of 1,325 defensive (laughs) ends from 87 to 2021. Okay? Freak show. The other side of that, I like taking these two things together, go to PFF's draft guide, and they talk about how he really seemed to figure out how his athleticism worked the second half of this last year. Like, guy on the rise, seemed to figure out, start to figure out how to use these freaky skills. But he played at Louisiana Tech. He has a small sample size of proven he can do it. So he's going to be around later in the draft. A really intriguing name for maybe round three uh, or potentially slipping further down where you can really, I mean, ceiling is through the roof. Is the roof is the ceiling? Isn't that the, that's Michael? Yeah. <laughs> Ceiling's roof. I mean, that's, I think that's where you're at with this one because there, there's a lot of potential there. And I wonder how much teams will value that and, and push him up their boards. Yeah. That was Dane's pick for the Bengals in the third round in his mm-hmm. draft. And, I, and, you know, I kind of mentioned in my piece that I, I like the pick itself but he he hadn't taken a tackle yet and and i just i i don't know the Bengals need guards too and he had him taking landon dickerson in the second round which isn't a bad pick but it just it, it feels like it would be a failure to to go to not get a tackle in the first three rounds unless you're really sold on fred johnson or hakeem adenogy being your swing guy and i don't think that's the case um, but it's interesting because dane Dane has Milton Williams as his fourth best interior. He lists him as an interior guy, but he says he projects as a ver- he, he, a three technique and he can play end in base. So if you're talking not just his freakish athleticism, but the the versatility he can give you where, you know, if something were to happen to, to Hubbard or Hendrickson, he could slide outside and play edge on first and second down. And then, you, you know, you still need that that third down pass rush specialist, or maybe he develops into that, but it is, it's a really intriguing option. Um, and 
it would probably have to be there in the third round. I, I don't know. He, even though the small school aspect, I don't know he, he would still be around in the fourth round. Yeah. But, you know, look, how often has Lou Anarumo used the term multiple, mm-hmm. right? Like wanting to be multiple, do different things. We've seen them use that funky three, four thing a lot. They've been looking for four, three though. I mean, that a guy, you know, I think tweener is often used against guys. But I feel like in today's defense, I mean, I think it's a it's it can be an advantage if if used correctly. Look, you can rush the passer, or you can't. Like it, whether you know what, let's not turn two hundred and eighty five pounds into no man's land. It's not. It's about athleticism. It's about being able to get there. Can you beat the guy in front of you? And theoretically, if this guy, if that's somebody who can figure it out, I'm not going to be turned off by. Is he a defensive end? Is he a defensive tackle? Does he have the size right to do either? Like, plus you can work with that stuff. I mean, you can add pounds, you can lose, you can whatever you want to do. Obviously, athleticism not an issue with Milton Williams. Um, so you know, you've got a few other names out there. Um, I mentioned Aleem McNeil from NC State. We've seen the Bengals under Zach Taylor talk about their good relationship with NC State's coaches, which kind of leans me towards McNeil in the mix. Dave Dor- uh Dave Doran there. I mean that they talked about that a lot with uh Pratt and Finley, that draft, um, about a good relationship down there and tr- and having trust. And now that trust may tell you don't take a Lee McNeil, uh, but it may say the opposite. So I, I kind of keep him in there as a, a guy who could be a third or fourth round with some upside too. And we've seen the Bengals defensive line coach working out Marvin Wilson at Florida State, which is why I mentioned him specifically as a potential prediction when, you know, when you see him there, you know, the same way we saw him, um, we saw Marion Hobby in Houston for Peyton Turner on the edge. Um, another of them kind of looking closer at those second round edge guys. And you have, again, going back to the how in the world did anybody throw the ball against Pitt? But Jalen <laughs> Twyman is, is Dane's 15th ranked interior defensive. So they had two edge guys and a interior guy that are just – great it, it, they're gonna be drafted this year um so there there are a lot of uh intriguing uh I, I think i'm trying to remember i think it was one of the two mocks i can't remember if it was the pits or uh the chase when we did the four-way mock but i had him taking bobby brown um in, in the fourth round the or the fifth round i'm sorry the texas a&m defensive tackle um there there are got there's it's not the greatest class, but there are guys who could be what the Bengals need them to be, which is a, a backup to Ogunjobi and then possibly develop into a starter. And if not, then maybe next year's defensive interior defensive line class is a little stronger and you, you attack that position a little earlier. Okay. Run past your boot as we do. Yes. Uh, run past your boot round. The Bengals will have added both a defensive tackle and a defensive end Four five, six or later, run, pass, or boot. What are you doing, Jay? Um, I'm going to run with sixth or later because we all know what one and two, the, what's happening in the first round, one of those two guys. It, it, the, the double dip with offensive linemen feels like a, a really strong possibility, second, third round. And I still think with the it was this way before, but with the release of Geo running back, becomes an even more 
high likelihood early on day three. So I think they get one of those guys in the fourth or fifth round, and they wait probably an end. And I could see them wait until the sixth to, to get a tackle. So I'm, I'm going to run with, with six or later. I'll pass on fifth, and I'll boot. I don't think they have both those guys in place by the fourth unless they pull off a trade and, and they've got some extra fourth-round picks. But if it, it, the way that their picks are constructed right now, um, that'd be the way I go. Sixth or later, fifth, and then I'll boot fourth. That's the scenario, right? I mean, it's it's the the patented Bengals second round trade back. Um, if they feel like there's just a ton of guys they like, or maybe they like some of the offensive tackles. We've talked about that group where there's kind of a bunch on a tier that could be a little even further back in the second where they're comfortable going back there and adding a four, knowing that they can take two shots at the defensive line, fourth round theory that they've loved over the years. Um, to me, that's the way that they don't pick four players in the first four rounds, and two of them are defensive linemen. I, I don't, it's not impossible. Like they just check their four biggest need boxes off receiver, offensive line, defensive end, defensive tackle. It's not impossible. Um, obviously, I, I just think it, I'm with you. I think it's the least likely. The most likely way that one happens is with a trade. And just because how much they do that, I'm going to run with six or later. But I'm also going, I'm just going to pass on the fourth with the potential of the trade being what pushes it over. And then I guess I'm just going to boot the fifth because it's the last one. But I, I think, you know, I think those are two strategies that you just typically see from them. And so I'm going to, I'm going to go with that because I, I do think that's why they like moving back in the second because they really like fourth round picks and they particularly like what they've been able to do with fourth round picks at the defensive line position and their results prove it. There's a reason why they, they would value that. You know, their names are Geno Atkins and Carl Lawson and, and all these guys they've gotten, uh, over the years in that draft. And it, this could be the position they're looking at. So an interesting strategy to think about when we're talking about draft day. And another name that. We haven't mentioned on this show, but you mentioned in your piece, the total wild card, another fourth-round defensive lineman, Rennell Wren. We still don't know what that guy is, and they were really high on him when he came in. And just a mountain of a man and two really unfortunate injuries. Um, didn't see him at all. It was, was it the very first training camp practice last year when he went down? Yeah. I, th- I think I it was. So. Yep. So that is it. the the injury history alone is a concern. And then the fact that he hasn't had time to really develop because he's been out of action for so long, but that, that is a really intriguing wild card there because he, he, he could be in that Mike Daniels role where he's, he's really good against the run, but his length and his size, he, he could push the pocket and, and be a force on pass downs on the interior as well. It's just one of those big unknowns right now. Really important preseason for him, where it's going to be because yeah. it's going to be a crowded room in there, and they're looking for something new. Um, if if he can't come in and look good in camp and preseason, you know, I could certainly see them letting him go, and or and you could see a potential of him not even making it there uh, with injury issues. We'll see how he comes off those. I mean, theoretically, he should be fine, but you never know what happens when you start taking physicals and and the doctors get closer look at it. So, all right, let's just take a quick break. Let's touch on kicker and we'll get out. Um, we talked a little bit about this the other day. Um, 
you know, I think there's a very real chance that they take one. Of course, there's we've talked about so much of these positions that they need and some of the success that they've had late in drafts. Um, it's kind of a, it's just kind of a sixth, seventh round wild card. Like, are you going to feel like you, do you really like a guy? And the other side of it is if they are without a kicker, uh, when the draft ends, they have a really good chance of getting whoever the best guy is available that wasn't drafted because who wouldn't want to come here? This was asked to be the clearest path to, to start against being a starting kicker in the entire league right now is right here. Yeah, and that's what those guys talk about all the time. You you can you can throw signing bonuses and preferred free agent, give them more money. Uh, they every time you talk to an undrafted free agent and ask him why he chose this team, opportunity is the number one answer, no matter what the position is. And you're right. I, maybe there's some other teams out there with dicey kicker situations that that would pass on a kicker as well, but. If, if that happens, then you figure everybody's passing on kickers and there's three decent ones out there and it would be, it would be really surprising for them to, to not get one of those guys. I think, I think Dane had two kickers going. Um, he had the, the McPherson from Florida and then Borag Alice, uh, from, from Miami going in his seven round mock. And I can't, one was, I think Borgalis was the Patriots. I can't remember where McPherson went, but that still leaves Riley Patterson from Memphis would be available. So I, I guess it just depends on how the draft plays out. And if they're happy with what they have at the time, they'll, they'll take a kicker in the seventh round. If, if they feel like maybe they need to, to add something in, in this seventh round, you're talking probably a, a DB or a wide receiver. Those seem to be the most popular picks in that seventh round. And then they roll the dice on a kicker, but there, there's going to be somebody by the end of the night Saturday that's going to be competing with Austin Seibert. No doubt. And you know, the other names I mentioned is sleepers, uh, Alex Kessman from Pittsburgh, who was really good from deep, and Blake Hobble from Ohio State, um, who was, was very good for them. Um, so, you know, the, there's there's other names out there. You mentioned the Pittsburgh kid that – that reminded me, I, I looked up earlier in the week, the the stadium with the worst kicking percentage over 50 yards is Heinz Field. And that guy has the NCAA record for f- over 50 accuracy, and he kicks at Heinz Field. So, <laughs> that, I mean, that's that's something that, that Bengal fans hammered on Bullock all the time about, you know, the missed the easy ones and, and couldn't didn't have a big leg. That that would be an interesting prospect if you get a guy the most accurate over fifty kicker in NCAA history and he did it in the hardest stadium to kick in. Yeah, I mean, you know, we talked so much about how they felt like their offense was limited when they had Randy and even going back to Mike Nugent and that part of the the Marvin unwillingness to kick long kicks thing. But you know, the league has changed and these guys. I mean, Butker and Zerline and they just they changed the game completely with their ability to kick from deep. And once you hit the forty yard line, you feel like you're good for three points half the time and uh, total comfort there uh, because of the length of some of these guys. Well, Kessman would kind of be a good example of that just because of the success he's shown um, with how he, good he's been from deep. Jay, you got to be really going deep. you got to tell me how many of Kessman's kicks happened in Heinz Field. 
Well, See, I, next next show I'll have that for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's the challenge. Uh, next show. Um, all right. Um, really excited for next week on Tuesday. It's time for our boy Jamar Chase uh, to enter the front of the equation. Uh, that means we're talking receivers, and we're going to talk on the whole receiver class. We're going to be going deep on Chase. Uh, I'm excited uh, about at least one guest we're going to have, potentially two, um, to talk about him. So look forward to that show coming up on Tuesday. Hope you would check back. So yeah, the full wide receiver deep dive including a lot of Jamar Chase talk happening on Tuesday's podcast. Also, I guess we I guess we should note. We should we should note that uh the Bengals are getting new uniforms in case you didn't hear that, but they announced when that's actually happening. Uh, that's going to be on Monday, so we'll probably have some reaction to the Bengals' new uniforms, which we've already seen, uh, <laughs> sort of, uh, coming out. But there will be uh, there's a lot more associated with that that the team is doing, so we'll have some reaction to that also on Tuesday's show. So all that coming. Hope you will check back then and look forward to having you in. So I hope everybody enjoyed it, and we'll talk to you later.